Hello, you're listening to the podcast, Every Tongue Got to Confess. It's being brought to you by the Zora Festival 2017 and Rollins College. And in this podcast, we look at the issues and dilemmas facing the 21st century. I'm Robert Castanello, an associate professor of history at the University of Central Florida, and I will be your host for this episode of the Every Tongue Got to Confess podcast. Recently, a group of University of Central Florida history graduate students participated in the 2017 Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities at Rollins College. The event included presentations under the theme, Communities Conference, Civic Conversations Concerning 21st century American life in communities of color. After the conference, Jose Flores discussed his research with fellow graduate student Portia Dossi. Flores' research topic, Pan-Africanism in Harlem, Arturo Schomburg, and the Quest for Community Identity, focused on activist, writer, and philanthropist Schomburg and his work to unite people of color during the Harlem Renaissance. Let's listen to their discussion. Hello, my name is Portia Dossi. I'm a student at the University of Central Florida, here with Jose Flores, a fellow student at the University of Central Florida. Jose, can I ask you a little bit about your project today? Yeah, uh, my project um, is called uh, Pan-Africanism in Harlem, uh, Arturo Schomburg um, and the Quest for Community Identity. Um, it's actually a small insight into a bigger project um, about Puerto Ricans in Harlem and in New York City and how they navigated political avenues to create channels that Puerto Ricans ultimately would use in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, um, kind of what people know as like the West Side Story image and what people assume Puerto Ricans were like in the city, um, kind of backtracking that to kind of the pioneers that brought that on. So my project is on one of the gentlemen that I research, and his name is Arturo Schomburg, and who was a um, elite philanthropist um, in Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance. Um, and because of the Soro Festival, I chose to, to focus on him um, and kind of showcase how he used Pan-Africanism to, as his avenue to create political expression, at least for the Puerto Ricans that at the time might have had um, identity crisis, um, and to help what was a kind of a social revolt that, you know, now we look back and, and reflect fondly. Um, and Schomburg kind of expounding on kind of all his efforts and everything and kind of the influence that he has today. So the project focuses on him and kind of his life and all that. So for those who may not be familiar, what is Pan-Africanism? Um, it's a, a belief that, you know, the, the political, economic, and uh, freedoms of African people can all be um, bettered through a coalition of unity um, in all efforts, uh, whether it be our um, economics or everything in uh, W.B. Du Bois and the Pan-African uh, Conference in London. Uh, it's one of the first places and other places adaptive platforms. Um, and those are a little bit more of... of of political movements that have very established, and some people, whether they like them or not. But Schomburg had a more uh, po popular approach to the people by saving uh, original manuscripts and kind of not always uh, uh, tying himself to whether a conference or a, a, you know, a meeting, but to the actual belief of, of uniting people of color and their efforts always. How did you get interested in this? Um, well, being born and raised in Puerto Rico, my dad's a Puerto Rican historian, and um, I have family in New York, and I won the, the conference graduate research here at UCF the year, so I used the money to travel up there, and I met some people at the Schomburg Center for Black Studies in Harlem, 
um, in the Center of Puerto Rican Studies at CUNY at Hunter College. Um, and basically, it, um, it just came about through an aide looking into their personal collections. Um, Jesus Colon, um, Oscar Garcia Rivera, and Arturo Schomburg were kind of the folks and kind of looked at um, them using those avenues. And I, I kind of got enthralled by their, just the collections they have. They were massive and very interesting. And, and I got drawn. Somebody had an unpublished poem by Lansing Hughes um, on the American question, on, like, on the doubts of, of Puerto Ricans and their identity. And those three Puerto Ricans... Um, kind of represent that tri-racial identity crisis that Puerto Ricans face. Schomburg in particular, because he moved from a Spanish holding to the U.S., and then Puerto Rico became an American holding. So his identity also reflects into the other um, folks as part of Spectrum's goes. So is there any um, specific things you'd like to highlight in your research? Um, I particularly um, like this project, obviously, because I'm, I'm tied to the Puerto Rican community in New York, and it's always been a part of our, our culture, and it's, it's very vibrant how we see Puerto Ricans now in New York City, but I think it's important to see the people that moved there the first time. Um, even Puerto Rico wasn't a part of the U.S. that moved as, as migrants there, and and today, thinking about it, you know, Schomburg, the Schomburg Center provides the whole notion that, you know, history is alive and well, and that you can see it and feel it yourself and and understand it yourself. Um, in a very public and kind of personal way. Um, and you can go and see maps of Tuss that Toussaint drew for the Haitian Revolution and, and papers you know, from Sora or Langston Hughes that are at the Schomburg Center um, and provide uh, such a focus to, to the communities that around the world that need that, that kind of like vision and that, you know, to see that, to reflect and fondly look into that. What do you see as the connection between um, Schomburg and Zora, maybe if there is any? Well, I think, you know, Sora, you know, coming more, uh, a lot of people saw her kind of as an outsider because of her use of, of dialect in her books, um, kind of her sexuality and a lot of her writings, I think, turned off a lot of people, people like Alan Locke that write later about the new Negro in Harlem and everything. Sora was a, a big catalyst in, in, into a different fabric. It was a fabric of a very vibrant community, but Zora was kind of that, like, artistic clash that I think everybody needs and sees. And I think Schomburg, though Schomburg was a more quiet in the back and, you know, I was at funerals with Marcus Garvey and New Aaron Douglas and curated that collection. They're both still outsiders that have that Afro, the Afro connection um, and that innate feeling of identity to that. And that's kind of what drives them and, and makes that connection. And I think that's why a lot of us reflect with the, the themes and topics that they um, shared so much in their effort to preserve. And even to this day, Schomburg, you know, the Carnegie Foundation bought so many of those volumes, it's, it's quite a testament to them. Were there any challenges as you were um, working on this research? I guess this, the discussion of Puerto Ricans and community, because like I said, a, a lot of the paper focuses on things like Eleanor Roosevelt speaking um, about Puerto Ricans and tuberculosis and kind of putting a shadow on Puerto Rican workers. Um, and a lot of people don't like to hear ill about Eleanor Roosevelt at times. So a lot of people that, that in that research and traveling up there at times, you know, and like some of the research in the collections, I guess you find those roadblocks. Um, but I guess my own personal identity and how I feel about about that and how I understand it and, and all of the work that has been done by the Center of Puerto Rican Studies, it's it's kind of um, amazing in the identity and, and the way that they preserve that and <clears throat> and those channels. So I think... Though they are roadblocks at times because of how Puerto Ricans are viewed, because they do have a long history now in the city, it, it's neat to see the nuance in the Harlem Renaissance and in those communities. Is it okay if we backtrack to the Eleanor Roosevelt story? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not familiar, familiar with it. So, so um, in, when Puerto Ricans moved to New York City, the housing developments that they were pretty much faced upon were about the same as the huts that they had in Puerto Rico. And a lot of Puerto Ricans write about it, that they were the, the, the asbestos and the 
the animal and the feces. It was just too bad, and they were dying of tuberculosis, to which Eleanor Roosevelt gave a speech. Then the Roosevelts were still in the city machine of New York City, kind of saying that the workers that were Puerto Rican were bringing tuberculosis and, and these efforts, but in reality, Puerto Ricans were arguing that the health department in New York City was actually failing its people, which it was because it led to a series of investigations by, by future people once the Roosevelts were out of New York, and it kind of shows how those communities were falling down and basically making their people sick. So it, it again brought out a whole notion of our Puerto Ricans getting brought here just to be father for a factory um, or actually trying to better themselves. Um, and meanwhile, you have Eleanor Roosevelt, who was such a big voice and who now we like see fondly as a sort of like motherly figure. You see her in newspapers and creating... Um, you know, political action. And Puerto Ricans rallied around that. It was around the same time, too, of the Harlem and um, Jewish riots also at one point that happened. Um, and you see these people like Jesus Colón and Oscar Garcia and Schomburg kind of reflect that and, and see themselves in those situations and, and kind of get back to, to Eleanor Roosevelt at trying to, at least the city politics, um, reassess how Puerto Ricans were viewed in the city because they lost the next day. I mean, like 75% of Puerto Ricans had lost their jobs. Um, and these were like factory workers, people that worked, you know, like um, hotel, like uh, like laundry sections and everything. So they, they, people just assumed that it brought forth a whole other issue. But in reality, it, Puerto Ricans could show themselves and demonstrate. And, and those things actually helped, like I said, that ultimate golden age of Puerto Ricans that, you know, gets shown and people recognize. So where do you go from here with your, your research? Well, that research, it's funny, man. My dad's actually collecting the uh, the primary works of the first uh, prime minister of uh, industry in Puerto Rico who was connected to Jesus Colón, and they had a lot of writings back and forth. Um, so I guess that project's still working on that side. Personally, myself, I'm, I haven't been working much on this project. I moved on to my uh, thesis, Miami thesis on Two Life Crew and the city of Miami and focusing on that. But I'll, I think I'll always revisit Puerto Ricans in the city, um, things like, you know, and the Afro community, kind of like Basquiat, I kind of want to look into that and how, like, ultimately these are the people that are kind of the seeds from those archetypes that move forward and move modern culture. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's everything. All right. Thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Every Tongue Got to Confess podcast. Be sure to find the rest of the episodes by searching for us online and subscribing to us on iTunes. (laughs) Thank you.